We are back here uh, after our, you know, first time doing it uh, two weeks out from our previous episode. And I, I'd say that it's going to be going very well because we have a lot more to talk about because a lot more time has passed. Yes, yes, yes. We have a lot of uh, interesting news topics at the top before we get into our main topic, which will be yes. uh, breaking down kind of uh, all the interesting jobs that are on a film set. You know, we, we talk a lot about, about movies and we have fun talking movies. But not a lot of people know that all the all the things that go into making a movie and all the jobs and all the different just it's crazy. Yeah, it is really, really involved, and there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people, a lot of jobs, a lot of skill that it takes to pull off, you know, a movie production or a production of any kind. And the larger the movie is when it comes to budget and special effects and all that kind of stuff, the more people involved and the more moving parts and the more complicated it gets. Yeah. But before we get into a lot of those roles that you see at the end of movie credits as you're shuffling out of the movie theater, a couple of uh, news things that happened in between our previous episode and now. Uh, first up, a few more, you know, unfortunate celebrity uh, deaths, if you will, or, you know, celebrities that have passed away. Uh, the uh, One of them is being Seymour Cassell, who was an actor typically known for being uh, very close friends with John Cassavetes. Yeah. And he was in several John Cassavetes films back in the 60s and 70s. And I always thought he was a great actor in those films. If you have seen, if you have seen those films, you know what I'm talking about. He was in... Um, he was in... I'm looking up which films that he was in because he's been... He was in a lot of films throughout his career. And I... And I really didn't know who he was until I started watching John Cassavetti's box set from Criterion because that's, you know, a lot of his main work was in that box set. And it was kind of a revelation because the way in which John Cassavetti shoots his movies or made his films, they were very raw and very, yeah. very um, aggressive and very guerrilla style. There was nothing traditional about the way he made his movies and really nothing traditional about the way his actors acted in his movies. They were very real and very raw and very emotional. And he was in Faces from 1968. Yeah. He was in Minnie and Mouskowitz, which I believe was another Cassavetes film. Yes, it was. And was he in... Yeah, he was in The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. I was going to say, was he one of the bad guys or, you know, whoever you would was, say yeah. is the bad guy in the movie? <laughs> yeah, he was in he was in the movie Opening Night. He has an uncredited role in Opening Night. And, yeah, he was not in um, a, a woman, um, the one with uh, Gina Rowlands. Um, I, think, I think that was Peter Falk that was in that movie. Sometimes I get Peter Falk and Seymour Cassell confused because they were both, like, close friends with... Um, John Cassavetes, yeah, a woman under the influence was yeah. Peter Falk, who passed away a few years ago. Um, so he unfortunately passed away. A lot of people probably know him as the father from Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Yeah. Um, that's kind of one of his more uh, recent roles. Granted, that was 1998. Um, he was also in The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Um, and he was also in uh, the cult classic, I guess it's a cult classic, Dick Tracy. <laughs> Ah, yes. um, from, uh, from 1990, uh, which is a movie I watched when I was a kid, and I have not seen it since. 
Uh, I just recently, I just recently, I just re- recently bought it on Blu-ray and haven't watched it yet. I need to watch it. I did you? I have yeah. to get it. I have to get it just to have it because it technically is a comic book movie. Yeah, For those yeah. of you out there who don't know, Dick Tracy was a a, a comic book. But the next uh, unfortunate passing was a a legendary actress, in my opinion, and that is the great B.B. Uh, Anderson, who was in several films. By, uh, by the great Ingmar Bergman. Uh, she was in Persona, The Seventh Seal, Wild Strawberries, just uh, an amazing actress. Yeah. And she was, man, I couldn't, I, it's tough for me to talk about Bergman in any type of, you know, reasonable and, you know, you know, non-rambling way because his films are just so, you know, mind-bogglingly interesting and unique. Yeah. Um, she was in several of them like i like i'm just I mean, looking at her imdb page and it's just you know all bergman <laughs> a lot yeah, of I mean, bergman I mean, here i think i think if there's one to talk about i think i think persona is kind of the the one for me yeah persona man persona's on another level of surrealism yeah like persona feels like an underground you know surrealist art film that is just unmistakably unique it's just unbelievable in it's in it's you know what it's What's, showing us and and you know for I mean? her role in it it's just one of the movies where she kind of just carries the movie like oh, it yeah. literally is on her shoulders yeah oh for sure and what is interesting is for the most part of that movie things are going in a relatively you know linear way and then there comes a point where things just get weird and it just goes off mm-hmm. into the stratosphere <laughs> of craziness. Well, you know in the uh, first couple minutes of this movie that this movie is going to be weird. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot of flashes and subliminal messaging of weird, weird yeah. imagery. And first time I saw it, I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, me too. And the movie came out in 1966. It was probably one of um, Bergman's, I guess, maybe not later films. But granted, I think the bulk of his main work was in the you know mid 50s all the way up to through the 70s you could say and bb anderson was one of the you know several uh, you know recurring actresses that he had in his films and i can't remember and please cinephiles out there correct me if you will cuz i know uh ingmar bergman was notorious for having relationships with his lead actresses yeah. And I can't remember if B.B. Anderson was one of them. Um, I I know that it happened with several of them. He was just notorious for doing yeah, that. It's not, yeah. it's not the best thing to do. No, uh, Because it can really screw up your career and really make things difficult on set and making movies when you have to be somewhat objective. But it's hard to be objective if, you know, the person you're trying to get to do a certain thing is so personally involved with you that um you know you you can't really instruct them if you will and well you know i mean this was a different time and of course these were you know swedish uh, you know people uh, this is not americans yeah you know yeah, they, they have a different I... different sense of of uh lifestyle than we than yeah, americans from, do <laughs> from what i'm reading she did not have a relationship with Ingmar Bergman from all the things I'm reading really, really quickly. Yeah. She did pass away April 14th, which was yesterday when we're recording this, at the age of 83. And I believe she, yeah, the, her last credit wasn't from 2010. So 
nine or so years ago. So she had a really, really long career, and she was just absolutely magnetic in these films. And she will be dearly missed, and I think, you know, her legacy will live on through her work. That is the one thing about these actors and actresses, you know, is that their their legacy lives on through their work. And there is another actress I want to mention who I think I just heard about this today, and... Yes. Yeah, she just passed away. Actually, she passed away about a month ago. I, for some reason, I just heard this today, and I don't know why. Um, she passed away on March 5th, 2019, and that is Susan Harrison, who was, in in my opinion, one of the best films I've ever seen, a, 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 an underrated masterpiece, and that is um, The Sweet Smell of Success. She played uh, Susan Hunsecker, who was the little sister of J.J. Hunsecker, who was portrayed by Burt Lancaster in the film, and the plot really uh, revolves around her around her and the relationship with her and her brother. And yeah, Sweet Smell of Success, which is on the Criterion uh, collection, it's on blue right now, is a fantastic movie. And I don't know why it that the the director didn't do much more after that that was a- able to rival what he did with Sweet Smell of, Su- of Success. He only has 12 credits to his 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 directorial filmography, and Sweet Smell of Success is the one that sticks out the most. Maybe the second one after that is The Lady Killers, which is the original Lady Killers. I know, I think the Coen brothers remade that yeah, with, movie years with ago Hanks. with yeah. Tom Hanks. Not one of their <laughs> most... Loved films. No. Um, kind of the ones that are kind of one of the ones that are forgotten. Probably right up there with Burn After Reading. It's kind like of forgotten. Their, it's like their terminal, which is also a you know, for Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> Spielberg reference, yeah. Co- coincidentally also with Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. <laughs> and I believe, yeah, Alexander McKendrick, um, yeah, he pa- passed he passed away in nineteen ninety three. I think he ended up becoming a college professor or something like that. Yeah. Um yeah, so those are the ones I wanted to mention and bring up, but and I guess in a more in more positive news and more, um, you know, you know, positive news for us as cinephiles is uh, Criterion announced their July titles today, Ooh. right today, right before we decided to uh, hop on and record this podcast. They uh, glad they nice nice enough to drop the titles and yeah, the July titles are significant. Because I know Steven knows why they're significant. Oh uh, yes, yeah. Well, the, I mean, we got some good, uh, we got some good uh, reissues of ones that uh, had already been on the collection. Uh, I think uh, significantly, the the one that stands out the most is uh, "Do the Right Thing." Um, finally, getting a re-release. Um, yes, yes. I'm one of the people who actually has the old Criterion DVD. Do you now? Just for collection collection purposes yeah because universal has already put out the movie on blu-ray but i'm assuming that this one's going to have a new transfer is going to have um yeah new 4k digital restoration approved by cinematographer ernest dickerson uh with 5.1 surround dts hd audio on blu-ray is an audio commentary from 1995 with director spike lee dickerson production designer win thomas and actor uh Joy Lee, introduction by Lee, making do the right thing. There's a whole lot of stuff. There's yeah, even you, some you, new you stuff. You can go to the Criterion website and you can look at. Yeah, each I don't want to go and... overall. I just want to make sure that we were getting a new restoration. Oh, definitely. Because yeah. that's the most important part when it comes to these Blu-rays. 
But um, what are the other ones? I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, I have them. I have them in front of me. Uh, let's see. Let me go back. Um, I know that we are getting uh, 1984 by um, Michael Radford, and this was a film that I think now. Please bear with me. I could be wrong. It was already released on Blu-ray by Twilight Time, yeah. and I think their license probably ran out, and and uh, Criterion swooped in and picked it up. No. That's that's what I've heard through the grapevine. Uh, so that's getting a re-release. Oh, I guess or, I mean, or a release another Blu-ray the edition. Yeah. Uh, the Baker's Wife. Which I, yeah, Lee. I've I've seen this one. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've not seen. It's this pretty film. good, man. It's 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 kind of a comedy. You know, it's 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 pretty funny. Yeah, um, this film is by um, Marcel uh, Pagnol. Now, now the, no, I've seen it, but it was in a really shitty restoration. So oh. I'll be glad to see. Yeah, this, this again. is getting this is getting a 4K restoration as yeah. well. So it's going to look really good. Uh, one of the biggest ones for me is Clute, starring Jane Fonda and Donald uh, Donald Sutherland. Uh, this film is directed by Alan J. Pacula, and I had been waiting years and years to add this movie to the collection because it's only been available on DVD. Yeah. And I saw the DVD in stores, I saw it online, and it's a film I actually have seen, and it's a film that I really, really like. Jane Fonda is fantastic in this film, uh, as well as Donald Sutherland, and I'm really glad Criterion's putting out because I didn't... I didn't quite see that coming. I think I they may have hinted at it in that that early year collage that they yeah. like to tease us with. I think that was one of the films that people thought, but I'm really glad that it is you know official and yeah. you know confirming that that's coming out because it's a really really good film. It has that that 70s American Hollywood you know dirtiness to it, that mm-hmm. grit. That you that aesthetic you only get during that era. And a is... lot of people don't like it because you know. It is very aesthetically dirty. Yeah, you know, and, it's and not this, warm at all. Yeah, and I think this is <laughs> maybe the second movie with Donald Sutherland in it. I think he's in Don't Look Back, right? Don't look now, or Don't Look yeah. Now. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah he's, he's in, in that. Don't fi- look now. Yeah, he's. It's part of the collection. Um, it is part of the collection, and the next one here, a lot of uh, one that has a lot of people buzzing, and I think we probably should be buzzing too, is the BRD trilogy. And this is a trilogy of films by the great German director Rainer uh, Werner Fassbender, and this in the trilogy is *The Marriage of Maria Braun*, *Veronica Voss*, and *Lola*. And these were all films from the yeah 1979, 1982, and 1981. And this is something I think was originally on DVD. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a re-release. And it's a re-release, and it's a re-release that people are probably going to scoop up very quickly. Yeah, I mean, because they, they, I think they have everything from Fastbender. I um, think they have this whole cause, film because we just got eight, uh, eight, um, eight hours don't make a day, um, just last year, not too long ago, last year. So right, yeah, they've been putting out his. They've been putting on a lot of his stuff on Blu-ray recently, at least within yeah. the last couple of years. They even have an eclipse set out of his first films, which I do have. And his first films are very, very weird. <laughs> they are very <laughs> weird. Um, this was before he kind of adopted the, um, the 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 aesthetic and the feeling of the Douglas Sirk films. Yeah. And you know, and kind of before he beca- his films became more easily digestible, if you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, they just recently put out uh, Berlin Alexander Plotz, 
Yeah, um, yeah, I forgot about that one. They reissued that one too. They reissued that very. That just came out. That was a couple weeks month ago. ago. Yeah, 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 it was, yeah, it was a month ago. Um, some of his other films that are on the collection, uh, Ali Fair Eats the Soul, which is a That's remake good. of That's really good. Uh, All That Heaven Allows, uh, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant, um, uh, World on a Wire, uh, The Merchant of Four Seasons, uh, Fox and His Friends. He doesn't make, he makes very serious films for the most part. You know, a lot of his films tend to be downers. You know, they're not yeah. very positive. You know, they're sad, if you will. I heard Fox and his friends. <laughs> Except for Eight Hours, Don't sad. Make a Day. Watch Eight Hours, Don't Make a Day. That one's kind of a light. It's a, it's a TV. It's a mini series, uh-huh. but it's it's very it's very light. It's 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 an enjoyable watch. Yeah. So let me go back because that is not all that we've got. Uh, the last one here is Europa Europa, by uh, Agnes Ag- Agneska Holland. <laughs> Hopefully I said that right. Sounds pretty good. Um, yeah. Yes. And it's a World War II film. See, I've and heard of this one. I've never seen yes, it. Yes, so have I. I've never seen it. Oh, boy. I'm just re- I'm just quickly looking at the uh, the thing, and it doesn't look doesn't look very positive. Um, <laughs> as World War II splits Europe, 16-year-old German uh, Jew Solomon is separated from his family after fleeing with them to Poland and finds himself reluctantly assuming various ideological identities in order to... Hide the secret, uh, hide the deadly secret of his, you know, his uh, his Jewishness, his yeah, yeah, you know, his lineage. Um, yeah, sounds like it could be a powerful. Doesn't look like an upper. It looks like something that's in the same vein of a lot of, um, films we've seen in that. Hey, I mean, it makes makes me think about Cold War a little bit. The came out last Mm, year, Cold War. Yeah, a little bit of that. But this one makes me feel. Ask me why. Uh, I have I have a very almost like an Ivan's childhood vibe or, yeah. you know, something in, in that vein. Or, you know, you know, I almost said Schindler's List, but I don't know. Well, if I just, I, I like recently that. saw this film called Bent. Mm. It's about the kind of the homosexual experience of, of that time period. And a lot of people, a, a lot of gays would, would pretend to not be gay. Oh yeah. You know, like it just, to, just so they wouldn't get separated into that group where they would go to the camp and, and, uh, oh yeah. yeah, people don't. Uh, I mean, the, the Holocaust is one of the most horrific things yeah. ever in the history of humanity, and we don't. We covered it greatly when we did our spotlight on Schindler's List, but it was not only those of the Jewish faith who were put in those camps. It yeah. was pretty much everyone that the Nazis. There hated. was not a white, blonde, blue-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. but even then, like if it was someone who was gay, yeah. I don't think they cared about their hair color or their no, eye they color. Didn't they care. just put them in that camp. Yep. Um, and a lot of people died, you know, you know, the numbers are, the numbers are there. That's just horrific. So yeah, that's, that sounds like another one that's very, you it's know, definitely, definitely for the a downer, but I'm, I, that one yeah. kind of excites me. I'm kind of, yeah, that I like them type of movies. Because another reason why these releases are significant is because the Barnes and Noble Criterion sale is during the month of July. Usually, hopefully again. And these releases will be coming <laughs> out during that month. Do the right thing is on the, that's one of the top of the list. Um, yeah. yeah, so we'll be looking to. So do the right thing and buy that. it. Yeah, do the right thing and buy it. Um, another thing I want to touch on uh, quickly, quickly, and it does tie into Criterion is the Criterion Channel officially yes, launched. Yes. This past uh, a week ago. A week and ago, I know you're already really Monday. you're you're already really into into taking advantage. Yeah, of it. I you know me I can't I can't stop. You go on these binges. Yeah, you go on, you go down, you go down. It, it was the same thing with Filmstruck, where I, 
I had to just you know feel I felt compelled um, to yeah, watch something definitely. there like every day or I, every other day. For, or, for for me, I have not watched something on the channel yet, but it's it's because of the convenience of it right now i don't have right. that with what i got my setup right now i don't have a way to easily access it without connecting my computer to my tv and then you know using my computer to log in and and it's it's kind of an annoying way to have to deal with it but i'm i'm thinking i'm gonna go get a fire stick uh to get the app on my tv yeah the fire know. sticks now are they actually have a 4k fire stick now okay which was you know their newest generation of Fire Stick. Yeah. I have I have the Amazon Fire TV, which was you know 4K capable. I got that I don't know like a year ago. Yeah, I think yeah. it was about a year ago, and that's what I've been streaming it on. And it, it and it it's a really a kind of amazing thing that we're very fortunate to have. Yeah. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you know I love Criterion, but it's it's a wealth and treasure trove of things. Um, the interface itself isn't flashy or anything like that. It's very simplistic. It may be a little bit difficult to navigate on there for some people well, it's, because it's, yeah, it's because they don't really display every film at once to make it that easily accessible. Things are kind of grouped into different categories. Yeah. Uh, like there will be a women in film category. There's an actors far category. There's a you know um, you know one of my favorites that I've been diving into is uh, Columbia Noir, where it's like yeah. a it's like a bunch of films that were film noirs that were put out by Columbia Pictures in the 40s and 50s. You know, there's ones where they're, they're like double features. And what is interesting is when you open some of these categories up, is they have intros and they have people talking about. Uh, these movies and giving us a lot of insight into it. Some of it is uh, carried over from what was on Filmstruck, but some of it is brand new. Yeah. And I know they're going to be adding more stuff to it. I know, unfortunately, for many people, they're having difficulty accessing it or getting it because it's only available, I believe, right now in the United States and Canada. Yeah. And Canada, I'm not actually 100% sure on that. That's kind no, of No, it I is. Heard. It's in Canada. It is? Yeah. Okay, so it is in Canada. So people in Europe don't have it, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, I mean it's 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 one of them things it's, et cetera, it's et even though even though they did have film struck and it was a it was kind of a uh, a way of uh you know figuring some stuff out. They still this is a new thing, this is a new channel. They're trying to figure out the, the logistics of it and the bug right. get the bugs out and figure out what people want and what people like <laughs> and make changes and it's a trial period. It's gonna take yeah, some it's, time. You know, you know it, you know, just launched a week ago and it's not easy when you're trying to interject yourself into um, a digital format that already exists. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to try to establish not only an audience for it or a customer base for it, but to make it, you know, you know, work just logistically. But, but work, it's like fun. It's technically fun. It, work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, we don't want there to be bugs and errors and problems oh, like that. But not. but you got people complaining about you know like legitimately like getting upset about like you were talking about the navigation of the thing. You know, like it's like, dude, there was a time where you could not find any of this. Like you, you everything was on. You either had to see it on film, or you like you maybe could find find a VHS of something. Like now, it's like it's on this site, and you, you just have to search around for stuff. And it, people are upset that they have to search around for something. I'm like, dudes, just yeah, the, the search mechanism. Yeah, the search. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you have to be somewhat patient with it. The search mechanism isn't the best. You know, if Filmstruck had that same type of problem as well, um, you can't like for example, let's say I want to watch. 
um, like I want to see what they have for uh, Francois Truffaut. Just right, okay. and I click on four hundred blows. Like I can't just go from like four hundred blows and then like click on like his name, and uh-huh. then all of his movies will show up. You okay. know what I mean? Like something like that would be very convenient. Yeah. Yet again, I don't know how difficult it is to program something like that in on this type of app. Like yeah. I don't know, like the technology wise, how that works. All I know is that for me as a as a user, it would be nice. Sure, you know what I mean. Um, and a lot of people are complaining that they can't get it on the specific device that they're using. Uh, that's that, be... and, and that's my issue right now. But it, yeah. it's not. It's Grant, not. Yeah. I'm not going to get all angry and puffed up about it. You just do what you have to do to, to watch it if you really want it. I mean, you find a way. Yeah, there's there's a lot of avenues with it right now. Like we mentioned, Amazon, but I think it's on Roku. Uh, I think it's on Google. It's on um, Apple Apple TV and. Yeah, Apple TV has it. I think. I forgot what Google's called. Is it called Chromecast? Google Play. Chrome. Google Play. Or... Yeah, it's also available, you know, CriterionChannel.com if you have a computer or a tablet. Well, if you have a tablet, you can download. Yeah. You can, yeah, I mean, you can course, download the app, so yeah. no problem there. But some people are, you know, complaining that they have, they may have an older Fire Stick. Or, for example, um, it's not available on Xbox or PlayStation. Neither was Filmstruck, <laughs> unfortunately. So those of you who have those devices probably won't get it. Um, and a lot of that is contractual stuff with the companies, sure. with Sony, with Microsoft, or with whomever, where it's just, you know, they can't work out some type of deal or, you know, whatever it is. Or there might be know. an exclusivity to it. You know, they don't want other places to have that, Right. You know. you know, it's something, or it could be something like that. So it's, you know, technical it's stuff, all, it's all you know money I mean? and stuff, Legal and stuff. The, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, stuff out of our control, and you know, you just gotta. If you really uh, care about wanting to watch these movies, you find a way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and it's, it's it's not quite filmstruck for those of you who had filmstruck, but it's a nice follow up to it. Definitely, you know, and, and I mean? it will grow. Filmstruck was unique. Yeah. Was something we'll never see again. Probably, probably not. Probably because not. filmstruck had. At at the at the phase in which it ended, it was like amazing. Like it had, it had the Criterion Collection, but it also had old Hollywood classic stuff. But it also had like all kind of stuff from the '60s and '70s that wasn't necessarily in part of anybody's collection. A lot of indie stuff. of stuff. Yeah, it was just a rolodex and... of stuff that was coming in and out, and just different themes and different people. And the, I know the creative people... the creative team behind Filmstruck yeah. was just uh, amazing just on a different level. Yeah, yeah. And they I, were thinking you know, like a cine- they were thinking like cinephiles. Like it was. Like, oh my goodness! It yeah. was it was all passion it was all yeah. passion and love for movies that went into filmstruck and that is going into the criterion channel I, I think now. Give, just different people yeah i was gonna know, say just people. give this time and, and maybe we'll get back to some, something very close to that that you know it just right. needs time to grow yep so with all that let's get into our main topic of the day we're talking about film production film production yeah, can be yeah, it's a daunting like, thing for some yeah. people to understand and depending and what, on the size of the movie, uh, yep, some of this stuff we're yep. going to talk the, the stuff we're going to talk about nests is pro- probably more in line with bigger budgeted movies. Um, right. But you know, some of these roles can be condensed down to to one role or uh, for indie movies and you know, you know, micro budget movies. You don't necessarily need all these roles, but um, this will give you an idea of 
you know, the, the, the scale of what it takes to make a movie. And uh, we're going to try to, we're not going to go deep on everybody's role, but we're right. going to give you an idea of the structure of what it takes to make a movie. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. It's kind of a, like I said earlier, it's a, it's a big machine that has a lot of parts to it. Film yeah. production does. And everybody's got, got their own roles to roles to fill and to, and you know, jobs to do. And if somebody doesn't do their job properly, you know, things yeah. can go south. Things yep. can go bad. I mean, we see this all the time where directors and producers are on a different page when it comes to what what a film should be. You know, you've got actors not wanting to do what the director says or not wanting this or fighting with other actors. I mean, it's a whole, you know, there's, there's a lot of complications because it's a very difficult thing to pull off. That's why when I'm watching a movie... I don't necessarily, like, I'm not too harsh in my evaluation of a movie because even bad movies took take a lot of work to pull off. It sure. is still not easy at all. And it's really something that is a monumental task. But anywho, Stephen, kick us off with the where we're going with this. Yeah, okay, well... There's a term within within this you know whole thing that is kind of used to help divide the uh, the, the 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 parts of of, of production, uh, and they call this above the line and below the line, right. um, you know, departments or whatever you know roles in in the production of a movie. And the above the line are, are kind of your main your main players that everybody likes to give credit to, which is yeah. your directors, your producer, um, your your actors. Um, they're, they're kind of the ones that are kind of on the fix, the fixed part of the budget. You know, they, they're going to get paid this amount of money to do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you have your below the line, which is everybody else, which is right. all your different departments, your art department, your, you know, your, your, your grips and your, your, you know, camera operators and every, all right. them people, um, are, are hired to come in and, and do their specific job. And, um, I guess where we could start is, is start with the, the producer. Right. Um, I, yeah, I would say, yeah, there's producers and then there's executive producers. Yeah. I mean the, the producer, and you always see them, you yeah, always the, see them at the, they're like the first things you see yeah. at the end of the movie credits. Well, I mean the producer is, 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 you know, there's a reason why they're given the Academy Award is because they, they're there from the beginning to end. Um, yes. You know, and, and of course there can be multiple producers, um, and like what you're talking about, the executive producer, um, he, an executive producer is somebody that that has a certain, you know, usually about 25 percent of financing, um, and they might play a role in in some of the the story and stuff like that. But um, yeah, they're not the main financiers of a yeah. movie, but they play typically. A, yeah. Typically, they're more like Stephen said, the financiers, or they're yeah. or they are people who go out and find financiers for the film. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they are, um, just, sometimes they're just large names to market the sometimes film. Sometimes they're a Steven Spielberg that might just, and you, you, you add their that, name to it. And it and you it, see that all the time in movies and television productions where they'll be like, you know, executive producer, Steven Spielberg. Michael Bay. Yeah, the, <laughs> all right. Uh, Steven Spielberg did put his name on a lot of on those lot Transformers of movies. But you have someone like Guillermo del Toro. If you look at Guillermo del Toro's IMDb page, look at his producing credits, he's got like so many of them because he just 
keeps putting his name and his, you know, recognition on projects and things like that. You also see kind of big other big names like Ridley Scott or um, Ava DuVernay or whomever or James Cameron, you know, yeah. uh, all that stuff. You know, he's going to be his name's going to be all over the next this new Terminator movie, even yeah, though he's he'll not be directing there, it. Apparently. But, um, uh, but producers are more hands-on, and producers' roles are, um, they are... Well, it, it can vary. I mean, some producers vary, might yeah. be, be might be more involved in, like, the creative process if they really right. are passionate about it. But sometimes they're just there to hire the director and to hire the, hire the main players, help hire the main players of the, you know, the, your actors and your, and your, and your director and stuff, and your screenwriters. Yeah, and they're and, also, they're kind of, yeah, and they're also there to pretty much get anything that the director needs for the movie to be made yeah. in the sense like they are doing a lot of the like uh legal behind the scenes stuff like a lot of working with lawyers and getting certain permits yeah. and getting certain things like that to make the production go where it needs to go it to go as smoothly as it possibly can sure. they hire they hire people uh they are they do all like the contract contractual work for distributors for the cinemas and all that kind of stuff and it's a very very interesting how involved in the film production that they are and they're so like steven said some are more hands-on when it comes to film production and those so, so- are the ones that you know, some that's are, where things kind of go a little. Some are Ke- some are Kevin Feige, where he's very intimately involved in the creative process, right? And then there's right. others that are just there, not so much to push the movie, at, you know, with their name. Um, and there th- are typically th- multiple producers per film. Sometimes a lot of producers based on the um, size of the film. Uh, honestly, you know a lot I mean? of times, I mean, yeah, sometimes big movies have a lot of producers, but a lot of times the smaller movies have even more because. It's a little bit from this person, a little bit from that person to just get that that small, that little, maybe a couple million dollars that they needed to make this one small movie. Um, yeah, and I wanted to mention this. I wanted to mention another podcast here because there was a very, really, really good interview with a producer and who really broke down what his role is in filmmaking, in the filmmaking process. And that was the, the one of the producers for La La Land, Fred Berger, was on uh, Alicia Malone's podcast, Magnificent Obsession. Yeah. Um, I I, I want to say around Oscar time. I think, I think this was February or so. Actually, or maybe it was more recent. I think it was more recent. It's a few, I've been a few weeks on that ago, podcast. I think, yeah. Yeah, it was a few weeks ago, and he was one of the ones, you know, who was on stage during that whole mishap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wasn't the, he wasn't the, I believe Jordan Horowitz was the, the one who said, hey, we didn't win the Oscar, uh, Moonlight won the Oscar. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, get up on stage. But he really went into the whole process of what his responsibilities are how he got into producing how people can get into producing and the difference between producing and directing and executive producing all that kind of stuff it was a really really good interview and a lot of people love la la land so that was a kind of a complicated production too oh yeah definitely and also, but before we move on, that there is right. an even smaller producer, and that sometimes gets thrown in there, and that's the associate producer, who yes. who, who who you know might have a small little role. It has to be at least significant enough. It's usually at the discretion of the, the discretion of the producer if they think that whatever they brought to the movie is valuable enough to give them a producer's credit. Um, yeah, you know. <laughs> there's always a terrible, not a terrible joke, but like you know, you give an associate, uh, you know, producing credit to like. So like just 
just to give someone a credit or something like that. Yeah, somebody you know, begged. They the have right a role. Yeah. They have a role, but it's not, you know, something that it is, could be. Is it could be a key idea, and maybe in the story or something that 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 they helped create, come up yeah, with or something. Then like, that was enough for the producer to, to to deem it necessary to give them a producing role. Um, yeah, doesn't mean that know, they're necessarily going to get a lot of money for you. Get no money from it necessarily. He, yeah, he's I mean, kind of kind of like the the assistant of the producer. You know sure, what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of what an associate producer is. Um, but yeah, a movie credit is a movie credit. If you get yeah, paid for I'll take it, it, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll yeah. th- I will definitely take it. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, moving on down on. the list, down uh, the line, um, you you have the screenwriter, which is obviously okay. pretty obvious. Uh, you know you. Uh, what do they do, Stephen? Please well, tell they, me. they do write screens. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, no, no, but in, in the credits, you know, sometimes you'll have have this split up a little bit. Sometimes you'll have a story by, or you have in, yes. a screen. You know, if it says it's written by, it means that it's it's the story and the screenplay was written by the same person. Right. Um, so there's different. You know, there's not a lot there I have to d- describe, but um, you know. There's just different factors to it, and when it comes to who gets the credit and stuff like that, you have to get into the minutia when you talk to the go into the writers guild stuff. Like depending on sometimes your stuff could come in, and sometimes a story by credit might be mean that you you wrote a treatment or that you wrote an original screenplay that then got rewritten. Um, some you know it, it can go in many different ways, but um, you it know, can. And sometimes it a director will come in and then take a script and then have it rewritten by somebody else. There could be many writers, you know. It, yeah. You know, so, and then I mean, there are people who, um, they are, they're kind of, they're, they're script editors, they're script supervisors. Sure. Uh, that goes into, super- that kind of goes yeah. into the the other department, but yeah, I mean. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. During, during the, production the production part of the department. You're in the yeah. part of production, you're right, yeah. you are. You, see, Steven, Steven's got things lined up. I got lined up, place. I'm lined up, man. Okay, go on. <laughs> but, uh. Moving on from that, we're we're into the directing. The, the, one of the main honchos that everybody loves to to give all the credit to, which is the director. Um, right. Very self-explanatory. I mean, um, you know, the, this guy is kind of the um, guy that pushes the creative force. He's the creative force of the whole the whole project. He's the one that's supposed to visualize the script, um, and you know, everybody's supposed to do what he wants to do, basically. Um, him and the yeah, produ- he- him and the producer are a lot of times. If that relationship is good, you're gonna have a good project. Um, yeah, typically they work as they work very closely closely together. They are the two main, you know, people in the production of the of the film. I think, in my opinion, because yeah. they have to be on the same page when it comes to how this movie is going to be made, what the vision is going to look like. You know, you know. All kind of the facets of production have to be and it outlined, just, and, and they just gotta makes you th- work things out. Yeah, and it just makes you think: what happened during the making of uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, when you had Kathleen Kennedy sitting down with the, uh, <laughs> like, where was that meeting? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. In- I honestly don't know how involved she is as a as a hands on producer. I have no apparently idea not that her- much. I have no that idea that or the um, what you call it? What's her name's uh, Lord Miller? Or just they lied to her. Uh, well, I think just... um, Lawrence Kasdan, I think, had a lot more input in that movie than most screenwriters. Kennedy did than most screenwriters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that—that's very interesting. And that's another one where uh, mid-production, you know, the director gets switched out, <laughs> or the yeah. director gets fired and replaced. Um, what now, happens now, then? Yeah, you know and, what I mean. Yeah, and one interesting thing about direct, you know, apparently. 
according to the the Directors Guild rules, you can only have one director on a on a movie at a time. And technically, only one can get the credit in certain cases. Well, in they, certain cases, there's been ex- exempt, exceptions. There are exe- that yeah, are made. there are exceptions. Yeah. Um, like, like for instance, um, like the Cohen brothers. Initially, everything was put under Joel Cohen's name. Yes. But now, the, the, there's been an exemption where they're now a duo. It's a team, so they're I called the, usually the Cohen brothers. I think the Wachowskis were the same. The thing. same thing. Yeah, it used where to they be. Are, now um, they're both credited. Yeah, you've had the Hughes brothers. You've had the you know, um, there are a lot of different directing teams that now are get get sole yeah. credit as one. Yeah, because back in the day, by back in the day, I mean like you know, forties, fifties, sixties, whatever. Um, when you would have another director, they would get an uncredited, you know, yeah, um, you know, moniker next to their name, yeah, say, because only one could get the credit, and I think. <clears throat> In order to, in order to, uh, I think this is uh, Directors Guild rules. In order to change the credit of a film, I believe the new director has to work at least on three quarters of it, or at least like change three quarters of it, or something like that. Where he has to be, you know, part of three quarters of the production. I could yeah. be wrong on that because that's the reason why Zack Snyder's name is still on Justice League and not Joss Whedon's, even yeah. though. One can argue that that movie is more Joss Whedon than <laughs> Zack Snyder, or whatever the case is, because Joss Whedon didn't work on enough of that movie to, to have the the credit switched over to him. He got some type of other credit for it, um, but in the case of Solo, a Star Wars story, like Steven said, Ron Howard got the credit. <laughs> he to, yeah, he, <laughs> because he, he, pretty, he basically remade the whole movie. They, I'm pretty sure they remade a, a good portion. A of A good movie. part of that uh, movie, yeah. probably maybe the whole thing, or maybe they kept a at lot least of, three quarters of it. They probably you know kept a mean? lot of the VFX, stu- like the the big action scene stuff, but then um, a lot of the actual like story element stuff that they had to reshoot all that stuff. They probably probably had to reshoot a lot of dialogue scenes. Yeah. Um, that's that's my guess, but yeah, the director is pretty much the overseer of the production. Everything kind of goes through him to a certain extent. Sure, you know what I mean. And he Granted, uses other pe- and he uses others to help <clears throat> facilitate all that stuff. Um, oh yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people. A lot of levels under the director. to the to get to the director. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of levels to get to him. Uh, so Stephen, what's your the next? Role? Yeah, the next, and then kind of the last uh, above the line category is the actors. Um, yes, you have your you know your main and your supporting uh, actors that are kind of part of that uh, above the line um, you know area, and then you have your um, <laughs> below the line actors, which are your like your extras, your background actors, and your what is also called are called day players. Uh, um, yes. day players are are. are Usually, you know, people that were probably background actors that end up, you know, end up having maybe a line of dialogue or or have a special skill that they bring to the to the to the film or a stunt or something like that that gives them basically an, a, a, a level up. Like if you're going from right. from uh, you know, like when you're on a plane and you get first class, that's what you get when you become a day player. You get you know, bumped. Uh, they're bumped up, and uh, <laughs> they're bumped up, and they get a credit. And, you know, they get a credit. Yeah. For so. And what is interesting about um, actors and I would say directors and uh, producers, all those three categories, a lot of times people tend to fluctuate between all three of those on a on a film. Yeah. Um, sometimes people are producers, directors, 
and actors ben all Affleck. in the same film. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck's done it. <laughs> um, and sometimes actors will just be directors of a film. George Clooney's done that. Um, and sometimes they'll be producers. Brad Pitt's done that, as well as George Clooney. Um, uh, Octavia Spencer has done that as well. She was a producer on um, the most recent uh, Best Picture winner, Green Book. She was on stage when they handed out those Oscars. Um, so yeah, so those kind of those are very interesting roles because they fluctuate between all three of them, and sometimes an actor will also be an executive producer. I, I find that to happen more so on television than I do in movies. Yeah. Um, that just happens in long-running series. You'll can, start seeing names pop up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can tell you why they do that because that's where all the money pay is. raise. Yeah, the pay raise. It's all where all the money is is in the above the line stuff. Well, that's I mean, because not... you're guaranteed money. <clears throat> yeah, it's you... not like it's not like you have to work on on hours or work on. You're not no. subcontracted out from somebody. You you give. You're like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna you know you get with the lawyers and you're like, this is how much I want to get paid for do, to do this project, and that's what you get paid. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a pay bump. Um, what is very interesting is some actors are also producers. Um. And they make a significant amount of money, like you said. Well, like, uh, yeah, Adam, like a lot like of times Adam they'll Sandler. have back end deals. Yeah, you know, but even like actor, someone like actors get back end deals. Yeah, I want to say someone like Adam Sandler. You, you, if you wonder why he keeps doing like these silly kind of, you know, not really well re- critically received movies, er- like every year that comes out with a couple of them, because he's both he gets an acting credit and and a producing credit, and he makes like tens of millions of dollars from that yeah. you know what i mean because he gets paid for both roles and and, and, and i think he also hey, a lot of times uses his own production company which right. means and a lot of them have their own production companies he's putting the well. money right back into his own thing you know it's like it's yeah it's it, yeah there's a lot of you know nuance that goes into that you see that happen a lot with actors in their careers where they make transitions in different avenues um um, Margot Robbie is, has is Starting producing produce, a lot of films yeah. now. She's producing the film that I think just wrapped the Birds of Prey movie. Uh, she was a producer on that with her production company. So yeah, there's a lot of moving moving parts in that upper echelon of you know movie production like like we've been going through. Yeah. So Steve, I, I would I trip? would love to see one of these big Go time on. players uh, be like, hey, I want to be a grip. <laughs> I just want to be a grip. You know what's great? But you say that. And we're gonna go below the line a little bit. Well, yeah, down, we'll get down, there. We're gonna we'll go get down there. the trenches. We'll get down. there. Let, we're, let's let's. We gotta start from the top, though. Yeah, let's start from the top. Th- go, start from the top, Stephen. Yeah, we'll start from the top. When we get into the below the line, it starts with the production office, and yeah. with that, at the head honcho of the production office is the line producer. It um, is indeed. He he is the one that budgets the the movie and and hires all the main players and hire you know of the crew and and. From there, it goes down to the what we usually call the production manager, um, who handles the day to day. You know, works yeah, with, works very, with the time cards, punches people. Yeah. You know, and pays pe- gets people paid. <laughs> you call said sheets. punches people. Maybe yeah. he does punch people. You never he know. He does how punch. I'd be pretty funny if he punches people. Yeah, but yeah, he, the production, the line producer is kind of the the, the mediator, the go between between the studio and the producer and the production manager. And he's there to, you know, manage the production budget. But the production uh, manager is somebody who's, you know, he's literally on the ground. So is the line producer to a certain extent. Produ- production manager 
is managing all the physical aspects of production. He's not really he, he's not the ideas guy. He's you know no. he's moving he's making sure personnel are where they're supposed to be, all the technology stuff they need, the budget for the day, the scheduling, and then he all that uses, kind of stuff is him. He also uses his own coordinator, the production coordinator, to actually yeah. go out to all these other places. Yeah, and, we, and, we're and, saying him, yeah. but it could very well be a woman as well. We're just using the general sure. noun. And, and then with that, like every almost every department, they have their own production assistants, PAs. Right. There's PAs, PAs everywhere. Are, yeah, the PAs are um, basically they're slaves. the grunts. They're they slaves. do whatever <laughs> whatever is asked of them. It could be anything. <laughs> they get drinks, mean? take phone calls. You know, um, do whatever. It, it's yeah. really. It's all of those things. And and with that, there's also an important part of the production, which is transportation. Um, you know, you have your, your transportation office supervisor who get is the one that helps get, like, the actors to set and all that, you know, all that little that's – that's a very – you know, there's not a lot to that department, but that's an important thing. Um, and then from there, you know, when you're getting into – the, the, the basically into the pre, the pre-production um you get into like your your storyboard your artists your storyboard artists um who help you know something like previs you know you know storyboards mm. um they get that all all done um you also have the casting director yes who is part of of course fi- works with the producers to help pick the right people for the movie um and that's kind of important it's very important. It's one of them. It's one of them roles that doesn't. It, it doesn't get an Academy Award. There should be an Academy it, Award for casting directing. But yeah, I don't know. Do they get one? No, for no. the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, maybe award, maybe. something like that. Um, yeah, they basically choose the actors for the film, and that that's like auditioning. And sometimes, if you know how some of these bigger films operate we're talking like you know thousands of people will audition for a role yeah. or they'll audition you know thousands of people they for have to see a lot of people a role. Yeah. they have to see a lot of a lot of people a lot of, a lot of headshots and a lot of you know yep. videotapes and a lot and... of people videotapes and skype sessions and yeah facetiming and you know live auditions in a in, in a studio you know these things happen pretty much all over the world yeah. as well and then from there, you know, you got your another big part of pre-production is is the location manager or the location scouter. Um, who, right. You know, works with the producer to find to figure out all the you know big locations if they're going to shoot on locations where they're going to you know get the permits and the things they need to to do that. Um, but yeah, they, he re- he reports to the production manager. Yeah. Or the or the assistant director, um, and he's responsible for making sure. They have the location for filming, um, and it's another thing that kind of ties into the finance department. You know, how yeah. much is this place going to cost for us to rent? Yeah. How much are the permits? Um, you got to maintain the budget for that day. You know, you got to worry. You got to worry about not going over budget. Yeah, you know, this all goes all that under that stuff. production office. That that you know. Yeah, the locate the location department. Yeah. Um, there's also, like we said, a location scout whose job it is to go out and find locations. You know, they got to travel all around if. They need a they need a desert. They got to go to a desert. You need a park. They go to a park. You need a house. Go to a house. You know what I mean. You need you need a metropolis. You know we're gonna are we shooting in New York City. We're shooting in Los Angeles. We're shooting in Toronto. We're shooting in 
Vancouver. I was shooting in Toronto saying that it's uh, New York. How, yeah. What are we doing here? They do that. That's another thing that's in, you know, production is, you know, finding where we're going to make these movies. What's, you know, you know what studio are they going to work at? Sometimes a lot of those things are maybe based off of um, whatever studio is backing the movie financially. Warner Brothers, sure. Disney, Sony, sometimes Paramount, it depends. Universal. Where Somet- do they make their movies? You yeah, know, so- where sometimes do they have it contracts depends. With? Yeah, sometimes it depends on, uh, uh, you know, if you're trying to break into a foreign market. Uh, you know, yeah, if, you're you gonna know, shoot in China. Yeah, they might I mean? go shoot in a foreign country just because they might my tract they might get more financing from that maybe they'll get a tax break maybe they'll get a you know there's a lot yeah. of reasons you know. there's a lot of reasons why there's a lot of reasons why i just made that joke of shooting in toronto to make it look like yeah. new york because it's it's much cheaper to to make a movie in canada than it is to make one in the united states specifically well, in a metropolis like a new york city or los angeles well, they do that yeah. a lot with tv yeah, what's um, funny about it is, is you know, we think of L.A. and Hollywood as the place where they make movies, but really they don't film a lot of movies in actually L.A. anymore no. or Hollywood anymore. No, because it's so expensive. It's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's so expensive. They may go do the post-production there. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? They or they the might shoot stuff. on stages there, maybe. Oh, yeah. But when, when you're talking back, about like locations, no, yeah. no, not so no, much. No, no, none of that stuff. They, they used to do that back in the day, but they've really branched out to – do other places. They don't. The stars don't want to be making movies where they're living. I mean, come on. Oh, some some of them do, some of them don't, depending on you know what their family. Situation there's a lot more. T- there's a lot more TV that happens there, I think, than than movies. Yeah, I, th- I would say definitely New York and Los Angeles are definitely where TV shot the most. Yeah. Uh, specifically, network TV. Um, network TV. You know, this, the studio stuff that's shot yeah. in, a, in, a, in a studio or a back lot or something like that. When you have a more sophisticated production like a Game of Thrones, that thing is shot all over the world. Yeah, that's like yeah. they're like in Scotland, that's, that's, Ireland, that's, Iceland. Yeah. Well, that, that, that has a movie it, budget, so I mean, yeah, it's... they got a movie. Yeah, they have a movie budget, but uh, yeah, location is is a big thing. Yeah. Um, but go on. But um, okay, so moving out of the pre production, we kind of get into the actual you know shooting of the movie. Uh, some of the the main players around the actual director. Is uh, you have your first assistant director, Indeed. Um, who is kind of kind of runs the show. It kind of runs the set basically. He schedules the production, how things are going to get shot, you know, throughout the whole thing. Um, you know, he helps make sure that the that the director can just focus on the crea- the creative side, and he does all the managing of the people on the set. Um, yeah, and then you have your second assistant director. Who maybe works with like your your background actors helps make sure that people are in line, you know, on on in front of the camera. Um, yeah, he kind of like um, like he'll maneuver some of the extras in the background, yeah. and he's basically to assist the first AD or the first director, assistant director with with other tasks. And sometimes there's there are there's a third assistant director or yeah. it goes so on a and set, so on. a set production assistant yeah yeah the, depending on how big the movie is with a lot of these big budget films you're going to see like a fifth direct assistant director on there yeah. <laughs> and sometimes a lot of these first ADs or second ADs um they'll shoot like second unit stuff yeah you know yeah. you know maybe things that are like coverage or things that are like you know if there's a car chase sequence and there's yeah. just a, a shot where the car's just driving along a road they'll shoot stuff like so, that because you know 
or else the if the if the if the first if the main director shot every single scene and every single shot in some of these movies, the production time would take forever. Well, you know yeah, what I mean. Th- there is that, that, but there you know it's also of course because you know one person can't do. I mean, with, one person can't ti- do everything. With, yeah, the, with the timetable of these movies, how quickly they come out. There, there are instances where there are certain directors that like to shoot everything. I think it's pretty well known. I think oh, Michael yeah. Bay shoots everything, apparently. Well, apparently, he's the, involved in all the shots. I think a lot of the auteur directors that we know and love, like, I don't know if they shoot everything, but they're very hands-on with almost Sure, everything. if you're talking about indie productions, a lot I'm of times— I'm talking like, yeah. like Paul Thomas Anderson yeah, and, yeah. you know, Inaritu and— um, Alfonso Cuaron. I mean, in Roma, it, it was a unique situation where he was the, also the producer, writer, yeah. cinematographer, director, the M. Night and editor. Yeah, M. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, uh, there are some questions where I th- uh, this is a complete aside. I think there was a question whether he was the actual cinematographer on it or some or the editor on it. I don't know, but I'm just saying there are productions where the director takes on multiple roles and is very involved with the making of the movie where they're the ones that are, you know, literally pointing the camera, yeah. you know, because, because I know you're about to get to the, the main person who points the camera. Very oh very yeah. Soon. We're getting my, there, one man. of my favorite roles. Oh yeah, definitely. Production. Definitely the kind of the unsung hero of a movie that doesn't, most people don't realize kind of give you the overall look of the movie and that's the dp or the director of photography i I honestly for me as someone who really appreciates the visual aesthetic of movies i think this is one of the most important oh yeah roles of film production i put it right up there next to the director And when they almost decided to to not put it on the academy awards like not to show it i was like are you fucking kidding me (laughs) out of all the the goddamn things the movie yeah this is, is the thing you want to cut out, you <laughs> fucking idiots. But uh, uh, back to the reality here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the DP, you know, works with the director to help, and works with the the lighting, the lighting department to get to help um, capture the image the director's, you know, that he's visualizing. And with that, you know, he works. He has a camera operator. Sometimes a cinematographer might work. You know, might hold the camera. You know, you never know. He depends on what the shot is. But um, usually, he works with a camera operator. And with that camera operator, he has his own assistants. Uh, first assistant uh, pulls the focus. Um, basically, yeah. When when you hear the term focus puller, yeah. Basically, his job is to make sure the camera is fo- the camera lens is focused the entire time during the shot that they're doing. Yeah. Because the worst thing that could happen is they they they're shooting a shot and then the camera blurry thing goes yeah. out of focus. You got you got to redo fuck it. Fuck that you gotta up. Redo it. <laughs> yeah, don't screw. Don't leave the lens cap on either. Yeah, really. <laughs> and then with that, you'll usually have a second assistant who right. more or less is he he works he, he either uses the slate or the or the film clap the uses, clapper or um also calls out certain um, things like you know uh, quiet on the set or you know like he's that person it's like roll sound um, you know so he gives directions sometimes um, and then you know with that there are different specialty uh, camera operators like your steady cam operator right. uh, or your you know motion control uh, operator like somebody that mo- that uses the dollies or the jibs or yeah or the, you know the rigs specialty or specialty whatever. rigs. Um, and then 
sometimes you'll have, uh, you know, kind of these extra uh, different types of photographers on set, you know, behind the scenes, um, people, uh, people that are working with the continuity of the movie. You know, they take pictures of the, yeah. the, the, the costumes and the sets to make sure that things are in place for when they shoot again in that, you know, because movies are not necessarily shot linearly. linearly. They're always usually out of order. Um, yes, you know, which so. is is when you have um, when we get to the script supervisor, that's kind of their yes. role is to keep things you know in order or in order in the sense of like you know what have we shot, what are we going to well, shoot? Yeah, the script the script, script shot, supervisor you know? focuses on story, making sure the elements of the story within the script are, are yeah, like like what what was what was what was put in what was taken out what was yeah. left in what was left and, out and, and and we know this we hear it about all the time in the news scripts are getting rewritten on set all the time getting oh revised all the time oh my and that's goodness. part of what I, they, I hear that all the time it's part of what they do you know they they make sure that there's that what is being said is in the script and if there's something that's changed that they make sure that it's kept up with yeah we talked about this i think i don't know if we talked about this in the news or if we talked about it just us together like the joker movie that's coming out with joaquin phoenix uh, zazie beats who's in the movie did an interview saying yeah they were writing the script while mm-hmm. we were making the movie <laughs> like, yeah. like they were doing it like the like very often like though like the night before screenwriter and the director will get together or screen or the director will do it himself or screenwriter whatever whatever the case is whatever's going on They'll write literally the scene for the next day. That's happened yeah. many times. It's not the best way to run a but, film production. You know, I'll but, be honest but, with you. But it is a little hectic to me. It, it isn't when there's a lot of money involved. But it's like you know, sometimes you get some of your best stuff when you're being um, spot spontaneous and right. you're, you're you're not thinking about it too much. Yeah, um, and sometimes you'll shoot something and you realize that what is on page doesn't necessarily translate well to what is sure. on screen. And it, you have to rewrite that scene or rewrite that dialogue or whatever. Well, or and, rewrite and, that plot because it's just not, it just doesn't work yeah, and sometimes you, And sometimes you work with the actors to, to, to fix that too. The actors yeah. are the ones that have to translate it and sometimes they realize it before you do that what is on the page isn't working. Like you have yeah. to do it in a different way and, they, and that's part of their job, you know. Or sometimes they can't do what you're asking them to do or it's not coming across as well as you wanted it to that's all like up to you know certain discretion yeah but when it yeah and certain writers are more uh precious about the screenplay than others oh yeah probably i mean like quentin tarantino wants you to say his shit (laughs) oh yeah i hear yeah the he won't like i've heard about his table reads uh where yeah you have to do it the way he wants it or he'll that's fire why you he, like that's why he brings back production. sam jackson all the time because sam jackson knows how to say his shit also i don't know if you could tell sam jackson off you know what i mean like it doesn't seem like a guy be like sam you are terrible today get off get, i'm firing that you. i mean yeah sure he's <laughs> very talented they have a history of course too because i mean yeah, he basically course. gave him his first big break in a movie yeah. you know like i mean it's not they have know. history I thought, I, I really liked him in that one scene in Coming to America where he no, I agree, you know I agree with you, but I mean, in the sense <laughs> of starring role, I mean, he was a, he was nominated for an Oscar for that uh, that role, so it's like a uh, great role, great role. But um, but some yeah. of the other kind of camera stuff is um, there's a film loader, which is you can kind of understand what a film loader does if you're if it's, you're shooting on film. Yeah. If you're shooting on film, which a lot of people don't do, but some some do, you know, thirty five millimeter, seventy five millimeter, sixteen millimeter, whatever. 
Um, basically, it's their job to, you know, load the camera magazines, you know, attach, detach, um, make sure that goes well, you know, make sure they're not exposed to light or anything like that. Um, make sure they're not damaged in any way. They can really fuck up shit transport. if they want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's, that's the one thing with film is that it's very it's a very delicate thing where yeah. you can really mess that thing up especially in post production when you're doing the chemical you know mixtures concoctions to create to create the you know develop the film yeah sometimes you know i've heard this in many documentaries i've watched where they'll have to develop it several times because you know it just doesn't look the way they wanted it to look when they shot it or yeah. what their intention was but that brings you over to digital which is a lot you know, less delicate, not not less, a lot more durable when it comes to getting what you want to get. So, of course, with digiting imaging now, digital cameras, you know, these big Aria, Alexa, 4K, 8K, you know, gorgeous looking expensive cameras, there's a digital imaging technician. And basically his job is to, uh, you know, he is to coordinate um, the workings of the camera. He is, you know, under the direction of the cinematographer or the DP. Uh, he is to you know make adjustments to certain certain um, imaging processes and stuff like that. But he is also um, supposed to archive the stuff, basically yeah. save it on hard drives. Uh, usually save it at least twice, just in case you know the first hard drive gets a little corrupt or someone drops it and it breaks. Yeah. You know, or somebody loses it. You got a backup, or and also to make sure that the images that they get aren't corrupted in any way. You know, the files. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you never know with technology. Technology goes up, down, side to side, and in, and in circles. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you do you want to move on to to lighting? sound sound sound? We're, no, we're going to sound to, first. Sounds a very small kind of a you know. There's not yes. much we can talk about with sound, but important though. Very important. Very important. Um, your main guy on a, on this in the sound department is the sound mixer, the production sound yes. mixer, and he you know coordinates uh, underneath him with uh, the boom operators. Who are the oh, you know yeah. the guys oh, with the main mics goodness. that capture what's on location? Oh my goodness, the boom mics! Basically, you think, oh man, being a boom mic is a boom operator is an easy job because you just stand there and hold a microphone. Um, do you know how many times you can see a boom mic in some of old like really low budget B movie yeah. productions where you can see the shadow of the boom mic very many times, or it'll come down in in the frame sometimes. So their job is to make sure that that doesn't happen. You know what's funny? It, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like I love watching the movie. Um, I think it was Singing in the Rain, where they're like trying to hide the mic in like different things. Right. This is before boom operators. Before is because they were just getting into sound, so they're yes. like trying to hide like the microphone in like a flower. Or, like <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> that happens now. That happens now too. I mean, it happens it's... now too, but it's obviously a lot more. Prov- like like we we got these mics, we can put you know anywhere that are easy to hide in hair right, or in right. you know but, yeah but that that is the that is one of the jobs of the product the production sound mixer is to put the microphones in the right you know, spot in yeah. the right spots um, so that they're and hidden it, and not it, obvious you know yeah and with that you have also the the sound tech you know who's yeah. the one that helps make sure that all run you know work has the cables and and make sure everything's right. hooked up right so that it's working there's very, and, yeah there's a very large not very large, but there's a technical department of just like people whose jobs it is to make sure, you know, the the set has power, you know, whether they need, yeah. you know, generators or, 
you know, cables going from one place to another for the lights, for the sound, for the cameras, for the whatever. Um, it's very, it's a very, you know, lar- a lot of moving parts, and those are a lot of kind of, you know, people whose names you'll never hear. Like, who's the main electrician? Unless you on... read the entire credits yes. to a movie. <laughs> unless you go, yeah, unless you read the entire credits, and then they they they, they get a credit, of course. Um, I believe they're part of a, a union or a guild or something like I'm that. I'm sure there is, yeah. Um, but yes. from from there, um, we can move into the lighting. I, before uh, we move into lighting, I don't know. Uh, you're probably gonna talk about this. Are we gonna, we'll talk about this in post for post production stuff. I was gonna mention foley artists. Oh that yeah, that's, in, that's sound, in post. But that's yeah, post production. Yeah. yeah. But so um, we're moving on to the lighting. To lighting, which has some of my, uh, which has you know one of my favorite names. You know, for yeah. a position, yeah. Um, it's got but very but it starts names. it starts with the gaffer, or, the gaffer. Or, or also called the lighting designer. Um, yeah, the gaffer is not to be confused with uh, Samwise Gamgee's uh, relative in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, please don't confuse that. <laughs> please don't confuse the two. <laughs> I know it's hard. I yeah, know it's, yeah hard. it's tough. But uh, underneath the gaffer, he has what we call the best boy. Yes. Uh, and, and you know, the origins of this, it, it goes back to the old days um, where, you know, if you're part of the lighting or sound department and they're looking for somebody to, to run and do, and do something to get basically their, their, their number one guy they go to, they call they, they it's my best boy. Get my best boy to go do this. That's where it kind of starts from. Um, yeah, they're basically the assistant to the gaffer. The gaffer is yeah, yeah. kind of the 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 head of the lighting department. You yeah. know, he's responsible for the design of the lighting for the production. Um, he, you know, the chief lighting technician, if you will. Yeah. And the best boy is kind of his assistant. And the the female equivalent to that is called the best babe. Not exactly the <laughs> best name. <laughs> you could just call it best girl, but I mean, whatever. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know why they went very misogynistic. It's because that. it's Hollywood. Yeah, um, pretty but, much. Yeah, the best much. boy or best girl, day to day management and hiring of of uh, people. You know, and also help you know rent equipment. You know, for yeah, the production, rentals, manpower, all that kind of stuff. And then you also have your once again, like your sound department, you have techs who yes. uh, who work with the, you know all the all the technical stuff when it comes to the lighting, you know, the, probably the bulbs and the and and you know any kind of mechanical thing like that. Yeah, um, they yeah they make sure yeah they they set up you know they build put the lights together and you know the bulbs and get all that stuff. Um, but moving on from there, um, you have the grip. Yeah. Oh, the grips. Uh, they're basically they are also kind of technicians, but they are in charge of um, rigging lights. Yeah, and all that kind the, of stuff. They they more focus on the, the non electronic electronic stuff. You know, like they're yes. like you said, they're rigging or stands, or you know, they they make yeah. sure things are secure. Um, you know. Yeah, they're they're the people who set up. You know. Um, like if the light needs to bounce off of something, yeah, they up, use bouncers. Or, thing, you, know. you know, if it, if the light needs some type of um, uh, filter, stuff yeah. like that, I think that's what they also do. Diffusers and all that kind. And of And you stuff. have your and you and when it comes to that, you have your key grip, who is you know your main your main go to. Then you have your best boy grip, who is kind of yep. the assistant to the key grip. Um, and best babe grip because they didn't really move on from best best babe <laughs> gaffer because they yeah. just had to. Yeah. Uh, and then you have your dolly grip, which is in charge of operating the camera dollies and the camera cranes. Yeah. Um, then you have just the grips, who I guess are regular grips. 
they report to the key grip and and <laughs> and they they're and they they're basically grunt grunt work manual labor guys who yeah. just move heavy things and you know set rigging points for lights and stuff like that. And then there's also a sound grip um, who is you know the same you know does the same thing that a grip does for lighting. They do it for sound. Yeah. But. Uh, moving on from sound, we kind of get more into more of the set stuff, uh, the art department. Um, you have your production designer um, who that that branches off into many different departments where it you does. have your, your, your art department, where you have your art director who works, you know, with, you know, creating the, the designs, you know, the, the artists that design the, the things on the set to then send that stuff over to the construction crew who build everything, build the sets, build the props. Um, you, you have a prop master who yeah, keeps up with all that name. things. Prop that's a master. great title, a prop master. Um, you have you know you have set designers basically. Um, they're they're the architects of the set and yeah. you know where the you know how how things fit within the interior spaces and all that stuff. They they work with the production designer, of course. Um, yeah, there's and, the graphic artist, there's yeah. an illustrator. Um, he's resp- the, the graphic artist is responsible for the creation of all the graphic elements and, you know, signs, posters, billboards, yeah. logos, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's their job. And I'm sure they work with, uh, obviously work with the producer, say there's something, that, a product placement. Right. You know, they have to be put into the into the set somewhere, and that, that's, they, they work with them, they... Everything runs through every a, a big, as you said, a big machine. Um, but after after that, we kind of also that kind of connects with the art department is your costume and your hair and makeup. Oh yeah, yeah. All of these are kind of the visual aesthetic of the films, which yeah. are really important. Um, it's very interesting how the, these people are very integral to the way the film looks, and then like. And, and, and they're all like interconnected you know what I mean like mm-hmm. all of their jobs need to link up and be in sync and be in in focus with one another in order for you know the lighting crew to light it properly in order for you know for the sound to be put in properly and then the DP to shoot all of these things they all gotta work together they all gotta yep. have a certain you know cohesion with one another definitely um, definitely and last but not least um, the special effects department uh, which is your practical effects, mm. um, things that are done in camera. Yeah, that's where you get to the hair and the makeup people, I think, right? What do you mean? Because, um, I mean, yeah. Well, I'm saying stuff like like your explosions, your... Oh, you're going with that. I was yeah, talking yeah, with... Yeah. Uh, when you said practical... I, meant, I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, ma- yeah. I mean, the makeup department. You know, there, there are that that falls within hair and makeup. But I'm thinking more of your actual oh, in camera like, effects. Yeah, we're gonna blow um, some stuff up. Stunt work. Yeah, and things st- like stuff that. that things that you know they will probably work with the prop master. You know, they they, they that yeah. all kind of runs through there. There's also someone called the weapons master, which there's, is yeah, probably works with the guns cooler. and the yeah, the, the weapons. I mean, if you're making a medieval movie or fantasy movie. You know, you're gonna have to have like guns and weapons and all kind of stuff like that. Yeah, that's their department. But yeah, go on to the special effects. I but, but yeah, I mean, no, no, that, I didn't have much to say. It's just that's that's you know, kind of the last part of production that I got here that uh, plays a big role. You know, you know, anytime there's you know certain big uh, you know stunts that happen, you know, you know, 
in, in you know maybe a car explosion or you know that this is that you know the very they they help make sure you know there's probably a lot they have to work with the lawyers a lot on this one i'm sure <laughs> they, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure as well make sure um, insurance is good you know yeah, probably work with the stunt team um which is a very important role uh in, in within this whole thing is the stunt stunt performers yeah there's the stunt coordinator who of course works in you know with the stunt performers and and you know, probably the head of the stunt team and things like that um it's it doesn't happen very often, but some actors like to do some of their own stunts or all of their own stunts. Uh, you know where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> that ageless fool, uh, Tom Cruise, likes to <laughs> jump out of airplanes and you know ride motorcycles. And but the, the thing, the really thing is, is he's a shit. producer. He's a producer on his movies, so he kind of. Well, so and I guess know. he can. I guess he can do whatever he wants. Because if, if he gets if he gets hurt, it's <laughs> you know money money out of his pocket. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but there are some actors who do that, so they have to work with the stunt coordinator. Yeah. In order not to die, you I know mean, what the I mean? Be- the best stunt man of all time that's an actor is Jackie Chan. Oh, I mean, yeah, Jackie. Yeah. yeah, you know, Jackie yeah. Chan does everything. You know, not so much now, but he, you know, he, he, uh, yeah, he's he's one of them guys that you know is a professional stunt man, but became an actor. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I do want to back uh, just back up and talk about hair and makeup. Of course, there's the, the key makeup artist, um, you know, the department head, and makeup and hair design can be very, very important in films. Yet again, to develop the aesthetic of a film, and some, you know, sometimes when things don't look right when it comes to the makeup or the or the hair, you really notice it. Because how often? I see this all the time on social media. Somebody will be watching a movie and be like, how bad is that person's wig looking right now? It's really yeah. sticking out how bad it is. Um, for some reason, Woody Harrelson is notorious for getting some of the worst wigs I've ever seen in movies. Um, I remember the Hunger Games movie, they gave him that really bad wig. Um, there was another really bad wig in the post credit scene for Venom where they gave him one of the worst redheaded wigs I've ever seen he could yeah. wear. And, and that's some of that stuff really sticks out. And then some of it is also really, really good where they win um, awards for things like that. Um, you know, hair, um, you know, makeup wins awards. Be, typically, I think for um, when you see these grand transformations of people, where, where it's a film dealing with alien races and they have to, you know, cake on all of this makeup and really change them from, you know, looking like humans to looking like aliens. Or or if there's a transformation in, like, if somebody is transforming from a person to a werewolf or a person to a vampire or whatever, whenever time there's a transformation in a movie, that's not done through CGI. Very often it is. And sometimes it go it can go either way whether it looks good or not. Typically, the best stuff I've seen has been practical stuff, stuff done by Rick Baker uh, back in the day for something like uh, an American Werewolf in London. I think is still fantastic, still holds up to today. Um, a lot of the stuff you see in Guillermo del Toro's films is all practical hair and makeup stuff. That's why his films are very expensive because those things can be very meticulous. Now, what is interesting is we bring up, as I bring up Del Toro now, and we're talking about all of these, you know, art department and visual stuff. The reason why his films are, you know, as expensive as they they are is because there's so much detail put into the world in which he creates, this fantasy world. 
you know, the fantasy films need so much art production, so much set design, so much makeup, so much costuming that it can get very expensive. That's why a lot of, that's why you see a lot of movies that are just CGI now. Um, That's just my whole little rant there. Uh, I didn't really have anything (laughs) great to say. But yeah, costume designing, very important. Um, There's a whole bunch of other things in there. There's a a costume supervisor, a key costumer, a costume standby, a breakdown artist, costume buyer, and there's something called a cutter, which is someone who does, um, you know, seamstress or tailoring. It's not the guy in the boxing ring who will cut your eye when it's swollen. No, no. (laughs) That's that's something completely different. Um, Yeah, so do you want to transition now to post-production? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Now now that the the movie's been shot, (laughs) (laughs) Um, we Uh, do move into post, and kind of the... You know, the guy that is one of the most important, obviously, uh, to yeah, making the, the whole movie person. work is the editor. Yes. Um, and, and he, worked, he works with the producer and usually the director to help create that vision. Um, yeah. Uh, basically, they work very, very closely with the director and it, ju- to get to put this movie together, to stitch this film together, because... It's the director's vision, ultimately, that is going to be put on screen for the most part, depending on, you know, no extenuating circumstances like a producer stepping in and saying, hey, we don't like what the what what you're putting in this movie. We don't we want you to take this out. You know what I mean? There's stuff like that that happens all the time. Suicide Um, Squad. Back in the day, you know, um, the best uh, pretty much all the editors and the best editors were all women um, because back in the day. Uh, well, Tarant- have... Tarantino's main di- uh, editor for a while was was a female. Was it, w- yes, uh, same with um, Martin Scorsese. Thelma Shoemaker yeah. is one of the greatest living editors we have today. She's amazing. She's been working in this industry forever. Um, we I, we've talked about her several times, um, but basically, you know, back in the day, they had to literally go through the film and tape the stuff together, put this stuff together through an old fashioned movieola. It's not like today in the digital world where things are a lot more um, easier to do. You know, when it comes to post production in in the editing in the editing place, you know, uh, sometimes you know they still watch dailies, I think, but not like it was before. It's no. everything is so quick and so instant now that you can watch back. You can shoot something and watch it back right on. Oh set yeah, you play back stuff right away. Yeah. And decide whether you want it or not. There's no like, got to develop the film. Then we're going to go watch all of these film reels later and see which one is good, which one isn't good, which one works, which one doesn't work. And a lot of that stuff doesn't really exist now for the most part. Even with film, even with shooting on film, you know, someone like Christopher Nolan, uh, who's shooting an IMAX film, I'm pretty sure he's got one of those gigantic monitors (laughs) on set. Sure, yeah. (laughs) to, To see what he's shooting versus, you know, what they used to do back in the day. So, yeah, like you said, the editor is someone who is literally putting the movie together and is someone who's working with the director to make sure the film actually flows well. Yeah. Some of the worst editing I've seen is when it's in, when the movie doesn't flow well. Yeah. And specifically within certain scenes where where it it's just it's just not flowing well. It's choppy. I don't know if you ever heard of, you know, choppy editing. Um a lot of that shows up a lot and and sometimes films um they have too many shots they just there's just too many shots within a scene that they just don't need and the editor should probably cut that stuff down but 
Yet again, I mean, he's doing what the director wants. Yeah, and you know, you have to give a lot of credit. The actors have to give a lot of credit to the editors for because you know they can. There a lot of their the if they get an Academy Award for their performance, they need to thank the direct the director and editor because if it wasn't for their you know them putting together the best version of their performance, you yeah. know they wouldn't be yeah. maybe winning an award. Um, very true. But um, so in, in also editing, also oh, with that, there's the the sound, the post sound, um, right. which um, deals I with. Go, yeah, well, I, I know where you're probably going to go. You're well, going to go color like, grading, oh, aren't a, you? There's a post production supervisor. Then there's like there's like a colorist well, and a negative editor. Yeah, I was going to. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of small stuff. Very here, minutiche but, stuff. But it's that, very yeah. minutiche. Very yeah. minutiche. Uh, yeah, and there's like a visual. Yeah, I don't. You, I, We'll talk about visual effects, but yeah, go with the sound. Yeah, the, sounds the, important. Sounds, yeah, sounds the ADR. Important. You know, anytime there's yeah. something that's not maybe not captured great on the day, or um, you know, or just they decide to change something. Maybe they maybe it didn't work for the story, and it you know need to, they might go in the vocal booth and and, and replace dialogue. Um, then there's of course also the music working with the composer to create the score of a film. Um, and then there's also the what you brought up earlier, the fo- foley artists. Yeah, um, foley that... artist is probably the most important post production sound person because they create all of the sound effects, and by all of them, I mean like everything from like bones breaking to people's, uh, you know, steps like footsteps down a hallway to people to jingling of keys to anything, because all of that stuff is not picked up while you're making the movie. Um, with with the microphones that are on, and if they yeah. are, you know, they they're not loud enough, or they don't sound as good, or all of that stuff. You, you, know, you can't are, can, you you can't always yeah. control all environments, so you don't necessarily right. want to use all that stuff. And there are people on the there are people on the set whose jobs it is to make sure all of the sounds are at the right levels, all the sounds are balanced, and all that kind of stuff. But if you're you're in if you're making a you know two hundred you know, hundred fifty, two hundred million dollar movie. Everything needs to sound as perfect as possible. Yeah, and that, and and that's usually you're gonna redo this to make it sure it's perfect. Yeah, and that's and when all this stuff is done, it's it's all controlled by what by what we call a sound mixer, who will yes. mix this stuff together. You know, make sure that it's all leveled off properly. Um, but then yeah, get well, well, there's that famous uh, you know what's the difference between sound design and sound mixing and sound edi- <laughs> sound editing and sound mixing um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah uh, I there I don't yeah, yeah. sound designing uh, sound yeah. editor yeah 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 is a, is responsible for editing all the sound effects in in, in into a, a soundtrack yeah um, I mean uh, yeah I mean, sound editing does. is more is more cutting stuff out and coming you know what what choosing what's usable. And then what sound mixing is is the levels, the levels. The, you know, the, you know, the volume of everything yeah, and ha- to make it fit within the story. The balancing of the sounds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that's the difference between between those two. And the foley artist, like I said, is very important. Uh, you can also throw um, a composer in in with this group of people as well. You know, we did a whole episode of you know movie composing and it's it's you know it's history of you know having having its origins pretty much. At the beginning of movie history, because before we had talkies, you know, we had sound in the movies, but they were just orchestral sounds and com- and compositions and things like that. And it's very interesting how a, a a composer makes the music for a film. Very often, 
they they don't even see the movie very often, or or they'll see certain scenes of a movie that yeah. you know rough 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 cut. Uh, sometimes they'll just see you know the screenplay of a movie or something sure. like that. I mean, I've watched many interviews with Hans Zimmer and discussing on how he makes his scores for the Christopher Nolan movies and stuff like that, and and just what his thought process is behind all of those things. It's very fascinating stuff. Um, and the music can sometimes greatly enhance a film because it can dictate mood, it can dictate, it can really bolster a scene and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, heading out of sound, you know, we got the last, uh, kind of the last big, and it's obviously a big deal for today, and that is the visual effects, which oh, is the yes. CGI, the motion capture, all that stuff that helps bring these big budget <laughs> movies you see today together really and even some small and even some smaller movies have um you know visual effects that you don't realize are there like for instance like david fincher's zodiac used a lot of uh visual effects like a lot of green screen to capture the 1970s um you know because you know it's this it's it's you don't have all the same aesthetics as we had then to make yeah to make you know modern day or at least modern day i believe san francisco look like it was the way it was back then yeah you know being able to capture you know it was probably a cheaper way to do it too because you could have gotten you know you could have tried to set dress up things yeah you know that's talk about production my goodness i that's why i'm i'm very often surprised by people who make movies that are like uh, period pieces, specifically in the 20th century, around places that are well known, like yeah. major metropolis, like New York and LA and Boston and Chicago, where they'll make them look like they were back in the 30s. And I'm like, they got to get all those, they got to get the cars, they got to get the clothes, they got to get, yeah, they, they have to make the buildings look a certain way. You know what I mean? They have to really capture it, or else yeah. it's just not going to work. But when it comes to visual effects, like you're saying, this is one of the more complex things I think when it comes to movie making in the post-processing game, especially with the bigger budgeted films. You know, with the bigger budgeted films, people are expecting greatness. They're expecting spectacle, and they want it on a grand scale. And a lot of that has to be delivered through, like you said, green screen work, uh, CGI, uh, the motion uh, performance capture stuff. Um, some of the I, I I say some of the best performance capture we've seen so far is done by Andy Serkis. Yeah. And not only in Gollum in Lord of the Rings, but the most recent um, Planet of the Apes trilogy, you know, um, the, the specifically the two directed by Matt Reeves, the second and third, um, I am still astonished by the, the way those, they made apes look so real. You yeah. know what I mean? And it really sometimes boggles my mind where there's such a discrepancy between some movies look great doing the same thing with CGI, and some movies look awful doing the same thing yeah. with CGI. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I guess it really just goes to show that, you know, Hollywood and movie making is a rather competitive place where everybody's not sharing the same technology or the same well, secrets. Well, there's or also the fact that some stuff. productions will, will uh, you know, send out p- parts of, you know, that not... That, Usually, one visual effects company is not working on the whole movie. It's right. multiple effects yeah. companies because there's so much work to be done. They have oh, to yeah. sift it out to other people. Um, yeah, so it sometimes doesn't match up. And sometimes, very often, these special effects companies don't get paid a lot. 
um, to the point where they where where they shut down. The the company that did the special effects work for Ang Lee's Life of Pi, pretty sure doesn't exist anymore. Or they went bankrupt or something like that. And that movie, I believe, won the Oscar for best visual effects. Yeah. And they no longer exist. Um, and there are you know animation studios that rely heavily on CGI. Like their whole production is CGI. And and you know, and it's not just Pixar or Disney. Someone like Leica, who's doing stop motion animation, which is a combination of, you know, practical effects and CGI. Um, that stuff is very, very expensive to do and very intricate, and it's really, really tough for them to make a profit doing that stuff. Because I think the more CGI in a movie, the more exp- more expensive it can get, but not as expensive as I think practical stuff is. You know, there are some things you. You just can't shoot practically um, without spending a lot of money. And that's why when some people say, oh, why didn't they just, you know, shoot that practically versus CGI? It's because just I'm a, like, it would have cost an, an extra $100 million. It, that's it just, why. It's, it's about yeah. the vision. It's about the yeah, vision. If the vision the is vision. to do a certain thing that might cost more to do it practically, then you ha- then it has to be decided to do it digitally. Yeah, um, yeah there's some things like, you know, logistically are impossible to do in these movies. You know, Superman flying through the sky, you have to do that on a green screen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can put him in, uh, hold him outside of a plane at three at 30,000 feet and, uh, like, figure this th- and, and shoot it there. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, yeah, visual effects can make or break a movie to a certain to a certain extent. Yeah, especially nowadays. It's, it's it's Especially nowadays. Especially with digital filmmaking. As well. Yeah, it's it's you know, and all this like we've said before, all this stuff has to work together to 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 be able to even make digital these these visual effects look good. If it isn't shot good initially or isn't lit well, oh you know, yeah, it, it's not going to look good in post. You can no, only do it, it, you can only do so much in post if it wasn't shot well. Like and if you, you also know. don't have the time or the money. In post, because yeah. you know the money. Let's say the money was the budgeted was the budget was mismanaged while yeah. you were making the movie, or you went over because there were complications, or you ended up shooting something. You, let's say you shot a whole, you know, a whole sequence, and then you you watch and you're putting the movie together later on. You realize it doesn't work, and you yeah. got to do reshoots. I know reshoots. Yeah, I was gonna say reshoots but- are usually f- like already money's already set aside for money's that. Already set aside, and mostly on big budget if- movies, it's already expected that there's gonna be reshoots. Yeah. What if there's like extenuating circumstances where you need to do even more reshoots than you thought? Yeah. Where does that money come from? You know what yeah. I mean? And then there's all that extra post-processing stuff. Um, that's a lot of reason why you hear a lot of movies, um, their release dates get pushed. Yeah, they, they, they get pushed sometimes a month, sometimes six, sometimes a whole year because they are still putting it together for the most part. Yeah. And then there are some movies that probably should have been pushed because when you get to the final product you're like man they really did not have time to finish this movie and you can tell and i'm going to bring this up just because you know it's relative to me and my my personal fandom uh the movie justice league didn't look like it was finished yeah it looks like they were just trying to hit a date and uh, yeah get it out there not only it didn't look like not only was the cgi on uh sometimes unfinished but it just didn't look like the story elements were compiled together in you know edited together in a way in which the film felt complete you know what i mean felt disjointed for the most part and that's kind of a prime example of a movie that 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 had a lot of production problems with it due to extenuating circumstances 
studio stuff, producer stuff, director stuff, um, actors scheduling not working out, you know what I mean? Stuff like that where, you know, the whole kinds of complications with, with production um, and you see how all of those parts didn't link up to one another and it, and it goes south. And that's happened throughout, you know, the history of, of movie making where some productions, they go south, some productions go way over budget, uh, some productions are in, are, are in, you know, production hell. You know, there's that great documentary, um, Hearts of Darkness, The Making of yeah. Apocalypse Now, where it was literally a terrible, terrible production time. They were shooting in, I think, not Vietnam. I think it was Thailand or somewhere. And they hit. They were they were shooting during the rain season, and all their all their stuff, all their equipment got destroyed because it just got torrential <laughs> rain. Um, the same thing happened with uh, Terry Gilliam's uh, Don Quixote film, which he actually finally finished. It's yeah. out there now, but when he tried to make it the first time around, they were just production problems all over the place, and it had to be shut down and shelved. And that happens now several times. I mean. I've talked about this with um, when we when we did our um, a preview of all the movies coming out this year. We got to uh, New Mutants, that Fox film that's very much in flux. Um, well, no, it's getting released now. Apparently. And now it's getting released, but then like you you um, they interview like Macy Williams, who's one of the actresses in the film, uh, and she's like, "Yeah, we have we haven't heard anything about any reshoots." <laughs> and I'm like, and I was like, the whole point of pushing this movie was to resh- was to reshoot and add yeah. stuff and change tone. And I'm like, oh boy, talk about a movie that's gonna maybe not look like it was supposed to when it comes out. Mm. Yet again, it's production problems. You know, yep. things like that happen. Um, yeah. So, man, so movie, yeah, it's 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 a big it's a big undertaking. It, yeah. it, you know, just listen to this episode if if you want to. You know, you get get scared of making a movie because it just. <laughs> oh, my buddy, yeah, um, yeah, like it's just it's just crazy. Like it's a I lot a to think mine. about. Yeah, it's a yeah. It's I had a, a friend of mine who's first like like he went to take like film class and like the first film class he ever took, they showed him uh, Lost in La Mancha, which is the documentary about the Don Quixote film like failing, and it's like. Yeah. Yeah, this is everything that can go wrong, so watch out. It's like, oh, great, <laughs> great. Uh, but yeah, it's a huge undertaking, and we say that because we're we're generalizing, and we're also we're also viewing it as kind of the big budgeted Hollywood, sure, you know, production that it is. You know, if you want to shoot something relatively small, it's less complicated, yeah, much less complicated. I it mean, is, and, and and it's all relative to to what. What, what your doing. ambition is. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can try to have uh, as many of these types of jobs on your set as possible, but ultimately, you know, when you have no money, probably, or you know, like like me, um, yeah, you know, you're gonna have to do multiple jobs. That yeah, it's like you know, yeah, you can shoot something, a, a short film, a feature film, with just you and a bunch of your friends, and none of them have to be, you know designated in these specific roles or anything it's just everyone doing whatever they can it's to about, make this thing a, possible it's you about know, how much how much you're willing to, to to how much of yourself you're willing to put into it i mean it's yeah it's like if you like if you're if you're like i don't know let's say you make a, a short film for a couple of thousand dollars i don't know and you shoot it with a bunch of your friends and like okay you're the director but you're also going to be the editor because you want the yeah. movie to look like the way you want it to look. But and you got a friend who uh he can hold he can hold the boom mic. 
Okay, he holds the boom mic. You yeah. know what I mean? If the, and then you got another friend who who you know he knows how to point a camera in a specific spot. Hey, there you go. There's there's your camera operator. There's your camera operator guy. Maybe you'll be the DP as well because you know the shots you want to get. You know what I mean? It, it really all depends on how big your production is. You can it could be you know nothing production, or it could be a big production. It all depends on. You know, your budget or your willingness budget, of man, people yeah. that are willing to give their time. And people that are willing to do it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's going to be our stop in place that for today's like episode. To stop. Um, we hope you enjoyed us uh, taking you down the rabbit hole of making movies. Um, right. we, we only scratched like the surface in a very brief way. Yeah. It's so much more fascinating and interesting, and it really makes you appreciate movies in a whole new light. It, it makes you much feel like, I mean, it. Jesus, I mean, they put out so many movies a year. This happens a lot, of, like hundreds of times a year. Yeah, you, know? you hear people like, you know, who work on movies and be like, and just, you hear stories and whatnot and you're like, man, I can't believe you guys pulled that off. <laughs> yeah. How'd you guys make this happen? Yeah. It's really, really, it gives a whole new framework to movies. Definitely, definitely. Well, with that said, where can we find you, Andrew? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kevzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Kevzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings, and you can find uh, this podcast on YouTube. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts, uh, Podbean, and that will be it for this episode, guys. Thank you for listening, and hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs>